And we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner Season 2. Presented by Century Arms. This is Episode 2. If you guys haven't had an opportunity to go to Season 2, Episode 1, make sure you go back, check it out. Uh, joining us from that episode, uh, again, for this episode, we've got our good buddy Adam Renala. Adam, welcome. How's it in. going? Adam is the marketing director with Century Arms. It's going real good, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. A little farther away this time, but you know, still feel like you're right in the room, unfortunately. We had a, a great show last time. We were able to do it at Royal Range USA there in Nashville, Tennessee. Adam made a trip up. And uh, we made a, a full week of it. Had a good time. And also, yeah, we'll call it that. <laughs> yeah. Also joining us from Century Arms, and uh, just up the road from me is longtime leadhead, good friend, and Century Arms salesman extraordinaire. We'll call him Andrew <laughs> Brenneman, ladies and gentlemen. Howdy, everybody. Good to hear you. Welcome back, buddy. Glad you could. Uh, take time out of your busy sales schedule to join us well yeah you know i had to take a little break and uh get on the phone and and get on the show with you marty i'm a little further than i was last time as well yeah so andrew's out on uh, sales calls he did us a favor pulling over and uh, doing the show for us so thank you andrew appreciate you doing that oh you're very welcome I have to buy you a uh, uh a burger and a miller high life for that i think that's that's appropriate is that appropriate <laughs> Yeah, okay. we're going to make it two Miller highlights, but yes, it's appropriate. I'm going to let you guys introduce uh, our next guest. I think this is the first time he's ever been on the show, uh, surprisingly. Um, but go ahead and introduce uh, your your compadre there. Uh, Jay? Jay's never been on, on the Talking Let Show? Have you been on, Jay? No, no I have not. I I mean, he is a diehard, dedicated leadhead. I can't believe he's never been on the show, Marty. We're correct. We've that. known each other. We've known each other for a good minute, but I've never made it on the show. So glad to finally be here. Yeah. So Jay is with Century Arms as well, and uh, he's also a certified AK nerd. Certified, yes, definitely. And we're going to need nerds like like Andrew, like Jay, and like our next guest joining us all the way from Moscow, Moscow, Idaho. That is (laughs) is our good buddy. Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions. Brian, welcome in. Thanks for having me on again. Pleasure to be here. Man, I always look forward to having you on. You have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the AK-47. Obviously, you started your own company, Occam Defense, and uh, you're producing your own AKs now with the ODS-1775. And uh, much to my surprise, I just found out uh, through social media You've come out with a pistol version of that. Sorry, you were having to know about that off social media. I should have told you. Yeah, we've been working for almost the last year with the former cool guy. Well, still a cool guy, but he was uh, in the service doing some neat stuff with AKs. And he wanted a, he saw the rifle, thought it was great, but he wanted a pistol. And we said, okay. And so we spent the last year in our spare time kind of playing around with that. Came up with a really fun 10 and a half inch barrel crank length gas system gives a little more length than some pistols. So you get the better cycling because of all that gas you get off the front end of the barrel. The ones we built so far are tack drivers. They got a 1913 rear trunnion. So you can put the arm brace of your choice on there. Like a lot of folks are doing now. And uh, yeah, they're, we're real excited about them. They're uh, 
They're a lot of fun. Very cool. Another one to look forward to there, Leadheads. And you're taking pre-orders on theirs right now. That's right. 200 down gets you your spot in line, and then we're ready. We bill you for the balance. There you go. And and he might have a surprise, maybe another discount code for the Leadheads, maybe? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, so you guys uh, stay tuned, and uh, there might be a little surprise at the end of the show for you. So um, last episode, we had mentioned that we're going to be doing some giveaways, Adam. We, uh, we didn't give anything away the first episode, so we're going to make it up this episode by giving away two awesome prizes. And we're going to start off, we're going to kick off this episode with a giveaway. Right. So obviously the Century Umbrella has a number of different product lines we're really proud of. Obviously starting with the All-American Made AK, the Visca line, our number of imports. But another cool, really uh, special dynamic in terms of our product lines is we have the Red Army Standard Ammo. And uh, I didn't think of any way better to kick it off than, you know, an AK is only as good as you feed it. And feeding it with some good, with some 7.62 by 39. And so we want to start off by giving away 500 rounds of Red Army Standard Ammo. There you go. And and this has to be legal where you live. So if, if I call your name, you're the winner. And it's not, you can't have this. Let us know. Uh, we'll hook you up with some, some other alternate uh, prizes instead. Uh, but the winner is of this is going to go to, and he's new. He seems to be new to the uh, the AK corner. I've been seeing him everywhere on the posts that we've been doing. He's been liking. He's been commenting. Been participating, and it is Jeff Clark, and he is one of our top fans on Facebook. Jeff Clark, congratulations! You are the winner of that ammo. Shoot me an email, talkinglet at gmail dot com, and put in the. Uh, the title AK Corner Ammo Winner, something like that, and uh, we'll get your your info. So good congratulations, deal. yeah. So guys, we've been getting all kinds of comments from our our episode one, where uh, we kicked it off. We talked about Century Arms, everything that you guys are bringing to the the AK market here in the United States, and all the cool imports that you guys are doing. The affiliations with, like we just mentioned, Red Army Standard. U.S. Palm magazines, and then we had our good buddy Art Kaysen at Royal Range USA uh, come on, who's a former one of those special, you know, super secret guys in a, in a former life. Talk about uh, his overseas experience with the AK and some training that he did with Allied forces uh, overseas. So that was a really good episode. Enjoyed that. So make sure you guys go back check it out if you hadn't listened to it yet. This episode, I thought it would be good to maybe recap a little bit of the history of the AK-47 as we're going to be talking about different AKs from around the world. And that's why we've got all these these uh, think tanks on the show with us. We've got uh, Brian, got Jay, got Andrew. Now, these guys really know their stuff. So uh, we're going to be talking about AKs from China, from Egypt, from North Korea, from Finland, from Czechoslovakia, from all over the place. So you guys ready to do this? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the AK-47 has been around for what, almost what, seven decades? Uh, And its variants, they remain the most popular and widely used rifles in the world. I think I've seen some numbers uh, that there's 100 million AK-47s floating around the world. Does that sound accurate to you guys? That's what they say. That's what they say, right? <laughs> yeah, who they are, I don't know, but 
I would say it's probably not a stretch to say there's a hundred million of them. Yeah. So of the five hundred million uh, purported, uh, uh, I guess they call them assault rifles or whatever guns in the world, a hundred million of those are AK-47s. At least. Uh, it has been reported that there are over 200 different types of AK-47s. Who's playing tiddlywinks? <laughs> and uh, in over 300, or sorry, over 30 countries produce an AK-style or variant rifle. And there's like something like a million per year that are produced worldwide. So these are just some numbers that... Uh, that I've found through the the internet, so that's a lot. So it makes oh yeah, it makes sense that this would be you know the uh-huh. most popular, I guess you would say, it, uh, rifle used around the world. I would agree. Let's start off with the history a little bit. So in season one, episode one, we did you know some pretty detailed history on the AK forty seven. So AK stands for J. What does AK stand for? Uh, it's uh, uh, let me let me murder that. It's uh, uh, Optimat uh, Kalashnikov. Well, you you nailed it, man. Optimat Kalashnikov, and of course, Mikhail Kalashnikov is the credited designer inventor of the AK forty seven. I think he had some help. I think there were some Germans that were captured that they brought over to to Russia to help a little bit. But uh, Mikhail Kalashnikov is credited with that. Uh, and he started his design back in the 1940s. I think it was around 1943 or 44. Russia was having some sort of a, not really a contest, but a d- design a contest. And Mikhail won with his uh, AK-47 design. And then they started using that in 19, early 1949. The Soviet Armed Forces began implementing that. And uh, it's not Russia then. It was the Soviet Soviet Union then, wasn't it? Soviet Union. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No longer the Soviet Union. It's Russia now. Yeah. Well, Marty, I think that we talked so much about the history, especially the Russian end of it. When you start talking about going into other countries, the real, I think the real jumping point is going to be the AKM because that platform is really where most of these countries, most of the satellite nations base their guns off of. Yes. So the Soviets started making the AKMs mid fifties. They were officially adopted in 59. Um, but they were producing them before, you know, several years before that and kind of, uh, sending that tech out there to, uh, their satellite countries at that point. Right. And the difference between the original AK-47 and the AKM is milled versus the stamped. That'll correct debate. Yeah. And of course, you, you know, all the benefits that go along with the, the stamped, it was cheaper, is lighter. I think they were getting some better accuracy out of it. Uh, so they stuck with the, the AKM, and like you said, that's what most of these other countries have based their designs off of is the AKM. Yeah, and I'm, I, we talked, I think we, you guys discussed this a little bit too, but the original design of the AK-47 was intended to be a stamped receiver. It was never intended to be a milled receiver from the original design. Um, it was just the technology they had at the time, and that's why it ended up being milled as opposed to stamped. And then, and then of course, uh, th- through that design, Russia... You know, they had several other designs that it morphed into to their, uh, the AK-74, which that is a uh, 5.45 by 3.9 round that that rifle's based off of. Well, I think their current issue is the 100 series AKs, correct? Anybody, anybody comment on that? Uh, AK-103. Yeah, there's been an upgrade since then, and it's actually a 100 series AK is what they currently issue, if, I, if I'm correct. 
Yeah, I think yeah, Leadheads, please, please correct me if I'm wrong, Leadheads, but I do believe that is the current standard Russian I think Jay's now. got a comment on that. Yeah, the uh, I actually had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago in a uh, training class that the 545 is slowly falling out of favor because of um, various issues, uh, which... N- notwithstanding their own ability to be able to produce it, but because of the uh, the logistics and also because of these gigantic caches of the 30 cal ammo all over the country or all over the country, all over the planet that um, to be able to support efforts, they are uh, continuing to use the 30 caliber variant over the five, four, five, which is pretty much just used uh, domestically and in some, smaller uh more special units very good and i think the 100s of ak-107 ak-103 i think those are a couple of the the more recent ones yeah the ak-103 was in 1994 it's a 7.62 with 39 still reinforced uh plastic magazines is what it's using 30 rounds uh and we're gonna talk a little bit about magazines too i think uh, brian has a uh, some magazine knowledge that he's going to bring to the conversation throughout uh, our discussion here. So feel well, free to jump in with that anytime, Brian. Yeah. Jay, Jay as well has a, a real much more than I do, but you know, there's some interesting, the 74 was kind of a reaction as far as I understand to the five, five, six where the Soviets understood that they got greater packability and some other cool things out of the, um, out of the, the five, five, I like the way that the bullet tumbles when it impacts, you know, the terminal ballistics are interesting, but there's some real trade-offs there. The, the tapering on the cartridge, they really necked down quite a bit so that there's far less taper. That actually is my favorite thing about the AK is the tapered case of the 762 by 39 round. And the reason for that is really simple. You can imagine pressing a cylinder into a, into a bore. And if they're really tightly, Drained, if it's tight tolerance, which you need for high accuracy, and you put a little grid in there, it's got to gouge its way the whole way down the chamber, which is why, you know, 5.56 stuff gets jammed a whole lot more than 7.62. 5.45 really took a lot of that benefit away, and um, the magazines on 5.45 are far more fickle, and fitment is far more critical on the 5.45 than the 7.62, so... For the reasons that I got into the AK, which are that, well, to put it bluntly, that I wanted the gun that illiter- illiterate Somalis and flip-flops could be combat effective against our guys with. I wanted that me because I don't get nearly the amount of training the cool guys get, obviously. And so I wanted the the easy button of, of rifles. And and I thought, well, when I learn everything there is to know about the 7.62, I'll, I'll move on. And, you know, it's several years later, and I definitely don't know much about it yet. Um, so, yeah, it... Uh, magazines are critical for feeding the gun and um, the AK in general is really superb at cross compatibility between different magazines from different countries with, with notable exceptions, but in general, like, you know, you don't have on the, on the AKM, you know, most of them will eat just about anything. And that's a really big deal for individuals trying to, to keep their family safe. I mean, obviously, we did a lot of talking in season one about Russia and the AK-47s. Uh, the other countries that uh, have copied or gone and made their own versions of the AK, I mean, it's like I said, there's over 30 
uh, countries that are producing them, and the list is long. Albania, Armenia, uh, Bulgaria, China, Croatia, Cuba, East Germany, Egypt. Is that is that Mikhail calling us from the great beyond? It sure is. Sorry about that. <laughs> Finland, Hungary, Iraq, Iran, North Korea, Poland, Romania, South Africa, uh, Venezuela, Yugoslavia slash Serbia, and then, of course, the United States. Uh, and there's all kinds of other ones in between there that I didn't didn't read. Vietnam and lots and lots of other ones. So we're going to focus mainly on uh, more of the uh, the more major countries here. So I think a, a good next one to go to would be China and their type their type 56. Yep. The type 56. It's a Chinese 762 by 39 assault rifle. It is a variant of the Soviet design, the AK-47, specifically the Type 3 and AKM. The production started in 1956, which Type 56. I think you're going to see a common pattern through a lot of these rifles. Uh, at State Factory 66. And that's another uh, common thing that most of these factories that they're produced in are factory some number. I found that pretty interesting, too. Uh, but eventually handed over to Norinco. Isn't that a, a video game company, Norinco? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, Marty. Uh, and uh, for a while, at least. And then it went to Polytech, who continued to manufacture the rifle primarily for export. So the 56 is kind of interesting, too. Um, so the guns made in, in, in Factory 66 as a Type 56 were made milled and stamped. Um, so a lot of people, it's kind of strange that they have the type 56 and you get it milled and you see them milled and you see them uh, stamped. Um, so especially like Vietnam war style, most of the bring home AKs and anybody who's into transferable, you know, uh, class three machine guns, you'll notice that most of the transferable Chinese bring home AKs from Vietnam are actually milled receiver guns made in China. Um, so it's kind of an interesting little thing that they have going on there. And of course, um, you know, having the thick spike style bayonet like the SKSs have, that's kind of a Chinese trademark as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah. No, and then also to expand on that with the um, uh, uh, one point that's unique about the Type 56 is as uh, the, the double folders. So they'll yep. have an underfolder with the uh, folding bayonet. Uh, there's seems to be just a, a, an amazing amount of variability that came out of a singular factory uh, with, with the mills and the square back receivers, the slant back receivers, side folders, under folders, um, uh, double folders, and just plain spikers. Interesting gun that has uh, a, a great deal more going on within it than what we see in other AK variants, particularly with the finish. Oh, yeah. It's hard just to say that there, there's no such thing as a Type 56 Chinese AK. So when someone says, oh, it's a 56, well, what kind of 56 is it is the next question. Yeah, it's a 56. Um, One, two, three, four. Yeah, I mean, there's QBZ, so many different variations. 56C, yeah. And that's like we were talking – in episode one, when I was like, hey, why don't you guys talk about the different variants? And you're like, well, we could talk for days about the different variants of the Century Arms, you know, AKs. You know, it kind of goes yeah. along the, the same lines yeah, there. We, we, we could do an episode on the Chinese Type 56. For sure. Yeah. 
And there are, sure. there are other differences between the Type 56 versus the AK-47 uh, as well. The Type 56 has a one and a half millimeter stamped receiver, kind of yep. like the RPK, uh, but it doesn't have the reinforced trunnion of the RPK versus mm-hmm. the one millimeter stamping of the AKM. It also yep, uses it also uses a different riveting pattern that is similar to the RPK. Certain versions of the 56S Mac 90 mm-hmm. have a have a milled receiver. So, so I mean, there's a the whole list of you know difference you know subtle differences between the two and you know that's another thing that uh, if you guys want to look this up if you just Google the uh, Type 56 there's several places you can go that that talk about this. Yeah. And one of the reasons, and one of the reasons why the Type Fifty Six is so dramatically different from other examples within the same series is because they are not authorized uh, manufacturers. They essentially reverse engineered what they got from um, behind the wall and took it apart and built their own from what they inspected. Yep, that is a that is a good point. The Chinese AKs. Are so proliferant. I mean, especially in the U.S., there's so many of them. Just to kind of touch upon it for some of the leadheads out there that are interested in the different types of AKs. So you kind of you mentioned it briefly about the Mac 90, but the Mac 90 is the Norinco Chinese manufactured AK that were commercially imported into the U.S. Um, those guns, in my opinion, are some of the toughest AKs that have been brought into the country. Um, I I personally think they they shoot circles around a lot of the other imports. Um, again, like you said, they have the 1.5 millimeter, um, you know, stamped receiver, mm-hmm. um, they're very, very heavy duty. They have, you know, heavy bolts. Um, they shoot really well and Mac nineties are still out there. There's a lot of them on the market. Um, so that's something that guys can still pick up. They're not, they're not cheap, cheap like they used to be, mm-hmm. but they're still pretty affordable for a guy who's, who's getting into AKs and wants to buy something a little bit different than what everybody else has. Um, I definitely, you know, go out there and try, try If you see a Mac 90, that's a good price. Jump on it. They're great rifles. Um, there's a couple variants like we were talking about on the receivers, um, where they had slant cut receivers and square back receivers. The square backs are a little more desirable. Um, but the slant backs don't really matter anymore because people make in, um, inserts now. So you can use standard square back furniture on them. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty cool. And then the polytech stuff, polytech legends, all the underfolders that they imported, uh, there's just there's a lot of them on the market. They're getting pricey, but um, some of them are still pretty affordable. So the uh, the Type 56, uh, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, was used against us in the Vietnam War. And there's a whole slew of uh, the, uh, the Iran-Iraq War. It was used in that. The Soviet-Afghan War. Uh, Bosnian War. Kosovo War. I mean, there's probably uh, you know 100 different wars here that uh, they've got listed that this... Uh, I would say been pretty it's been used in every major conflict since world war ii uh, and and, and, and i would say more and i would continue to say that pretty much if you if you're going to forward deploy pretty much anywhere there, there's a really high chance that you're going to have um one of those pointed at you yeah they're everywhere they're everywhere they're massively prolific all over the planet and that's got to do with china wanting to spread their communism <laughs> But not just China. I mean, China, China and the Soviet. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, currently, uh, you know, you that and labor. You know, labor outputs also, you know, a significant consideration when dealing with China. So, yeah, yeah. kind of on the the converse concept of you know they reverse engineered this. Let's move over to Egypt and the the Mahdi AK forty sevens. 
where they were basically um, given all the equipment by Russia and blueprints and everything to make exact duplicates of the Russian AKM. During the 1950s, the Soviet Union, as part of its military aid program, established the production of Soviet pattern small arms in the Arab Republic of Egypt. Uh, and I'm getting this info uh, from a uh, uh, AK Forums guy, so I don't know the validity of all this information, but it sounds pretty legit, and some other stuff I've looked up uh, has has checked out. Yeah, so... So Marty, I'll, I'll, so that is correct. I mean, that that's exactly what happened. The purpose of it too was the the Russians needed someplace in Africa where they could produce small arms to get to other African nations because at the time they were very very heavily concentrated on spreading communism throughout um, Africa. You know, we had the whole war. You know, the South Africans. You know, we talk about Angola and places like that. So the Russians wanted a place in Africa that could manufacture those small arms to distribute to other African nations that in their theory where they were going to convert to communism or and or just start communist revolutions in those countries. And they did in quite a few of them. Yeah. The the thing about the Egyptian Mahdi's was, yeah, they had the technology. They just didn't have the good raw materials and they didn't have a very they just weren't very good at building them. The things were crap. It blows my mind how much they sell for now because we used to bring them in. They'd be in in, you know, tubs at a gun show for one hundred and fifty nine ninety nine. People would just basically <laughs> laugh at them. And in my opinion, there's still some of the, the the really crappiest made AKs that were that were ever imported. Mm-hmm. So that's the deal with the with the Mahdi's. The Mahdi's, yeah, technically they are Russian pattern guns. Technically, they did have license from you know the Soviet Union to manufacture those firearms. Yes, supposedly they sent tooling, which my guess if they sent tooling, it's because it was worn out. Mm. And uh, because the Mahdi's honestly were pretty crap and are pretty crappy guns. Yeah. <laughs> So it said the AK, uh, the AKM rifles were manufactured at a uh, at the Factory 54, the Mahdi Company for Engineering Industries in Cairo. Uh, key Egyptian personnel were trained in the Soviet Union, and the plant was supervised by Russians prior to their abrupt expulsion from Egypt at the hands of Anwar Sadat in 1972. Designated as the ARM Automatic Rifle, uh, MISR. A semi-automatic only version of the Egyptian AKM was introduced to the American public in 1982. So that's the one you're talking about, I would I guess, right? Yeah, I'm talking about those, but uh, yeah, but the ones that so they didn't have a good reputation. The 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 machine guns, the actual full auto guns that were manufactured there, um, and used in a lot of different African campaigns, didn't have a great reputation either. Gotcha. You know, there there's an interesting concept in the Arab world that that we would find, or I think people do find pretty weird when they hear about it. But, you know, in the U S we get bled for a lot of tax money that goes to pay for our pretty awesome military. Um, in other countries, they don't have the tax base to support that. And so I saw this in Jordan when I was there, I went to one of their bases that's now open kind of to the public for training. And, um, every, branch of the military in Jordan has to pay for itself and figure out how to generate enough revenue to support itself. And as far as I know, the Mahdi factory is the same deal. The Egyptian military runs it to pay for itself and they make like dishwashers and home appliances and refrigerators and all kinds of stuff, including the Mahdi rifles. And uh, so it's a really interesting cultural difference. And 
and might go to some of the quality issues. Don't know, don't really know about that, um, but it's certainly a different economic model from the one that's practiced here. Oh, for sure. All right, so uh, let's jump over to – where do you think the next country we should jump to, North Korea? I mean, we can talk about North Korea, but no one – I mean, there's very few examples of those guns really to be examined, and no one really knows you know, a whole, whole lot about them. I mean, unless, right. does somebody else here know a lot about them? I really don't. I only know one person who owns one, and I've never even really seen it. It's just like one of those things that, you know, you, you know it exists, but like a you unicorn. have no proof of it. Yeah, it's very much so. Like getting anything out of the midget kingdom is 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 is, <laughs> is just ridiculously <laughs> difficult. That so, sounds like yeah, Korea as a whole. I, yeah, I have actually, whole. I've actually held the one that I think Jay knows about. and yeah, um, It's that one. Yeah, yeah. And um, the machining on it was actually pretty good um, and looked a lot like a Type 56, but I'm not a big milled AK, you know, connoisseur. Um, but man, for being made 60 years ago or something, you know, by, as you say, the Midget Kingdom, it was pretty impressive, gotta say. So the info that I've got on it is the Type 58. This is the North Korean. Uh, rifle derived from the Soviet AK-47. Uh, it uses 760 by 39. It's the longest version of the rifle at 890 millimeters, which is about 35 inches, uh, while the AK is about 34 inches, 870 millimeters. This was the first weapon made in North Korea alongside the PPSH-41. Made under the license as Type 49. It was made in Factory 61 and 65. There you go. I mean, what's the deal with all these firearms manufacturers just calling their Factory 61? Well, it's not just them. It's the way they issue licenses. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, and they're also state properties. They're yeah. they're, they're not they're not businesses. So states, the state's factory number 61. You know, state right. factory. 33 might make bread, you know, right. factory 22 makes car tires. Right. Because in, 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 in a uh, cooperative environment, the individual is not represented. So a name is irrelevant. Gotcha. That makes sense. So that, that makes sense why they have the, the names that way. And when you say the licenses and you said like China didn't have a license, the, the Russia Soviet union, just like any kind of a, a business for them to make it, they've, basically give their blessings by okay here's your license to produce this and what what do they do like for china if you know china doesn't have a license do they do they sue them or <laughs> not not it's just they didn't give them the technology they had to go find it themselves right but i mean correct me if i'm wrong the north korean uh rifle is licensed through from the chinese not the russians correct I believe you're correct on that. Yeah, the Chinese are the ones who licensed out the 56 pattern to the North Koreans. Yeah, so uh, it says after the Korean War, 1950-1953, the DPRK was allied with the Soviet Union and continued to receive military support from them. President Kim Sung ordered the fabrication of the Type 58. The assault rifle was first produced in 1958. There were... Uh, they were made initially with Russian components until the North Koreans were able to make their own parts. Okay, well, I'm wrong then. The, the Russians actually licensed it to them. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, there's not a whole lot known about this because uh, we don't – they're very rare here in the United States. So uh, not a lot known about those. Or in any other country, I guess, I would say. 
So from yeah. so from North Korea, where do you think we ought to jump to? Go to Europe. You go to Europe? Yeah, lots pick, of them there. Pick one. Um, oh, start with one of the nicer ones. Just start at Germany. You start There's a couple of interesting things about the German one. Let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about that. Tell us what you know about the uh, the German AK variants. So it's MKI, maybe I think is what they call it. Does anybody know? MPI, is that right? M- MKI, MPI, MPI. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, so it's um, so they had some pretty interesting things. The uh, um, East Germans were actually the first people to use a polymer magazine. Um, it wasn't the Russians with the seventy four. The East Germans actually made a polymer magazine before that. Um, they're also the ones that have that really cool like pebble furniture. Some of the early polymer furniture on the guns. I don't know for a fact if they were the first people to use polymer furniture, but if not, they were one of the earliest countries to use polymer furniture. They have that cool, like purplish red, uh, kind of pebble finished uh, butt stocks that everybody likes. Yeah, and collects. yeah, with all cool. with all the border guard editions. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, I don't think. I mean, techno- technologically, I don't think it was massively different from any of the other, you know, AKM type variants. Um, they just did some pretty cool things. Like I said, with the polymer furniture, their bayonets were different. Um, actually manufacturing a polymer mag um, that worked well. So, yeah, they had some pretty cool innovations. Obviously, Germans are pretty known for, you know, machines, technology, that kind of thing. So it's not super surprising. It's kind of it's ironic, I guess, because the AK-47 was, I mean, a lot of people have said that, you know, Mikhail Kalashnikov based it off of, German Sturmgewehr. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the basics of it was. It, yeah, you're right. It is kind of uh, funny that it goes, you know, just kind of flipped around backwards. Right. But, you know, I mean, the Germans had to do, you know, what they had to do because, I mean, their entire manufacturing was completely destroyed. Russians kidnapped pretty much any engineer, anybody who knew anything about manufacturing. They basically arrested them and took them to Russia as far as the East German side went. And a lot of on the other side of Germany were also taken to Russia before everything was situated after World War II. But, um, so yeah, the Germans kind of had to restart their entire machine. Yeah, there's some neat stuff on the <clears throat> on the German side. Like, it's hard to find reference materials that are source materials on the AK in the United States. And one of the big exceptions are the East German repair manuals that are available online. And I'm blanking on the guy's name at the moment, but if you Google for East German repair manual, you'll find a guy who's done the translations from the East German manuals and kept the figures and everything. And there's probably five or six of them there that are specific to the MPI and some of the RPKs and that kind of thing. And um, that's been extremely helpful for us in that they call out the headspacing criteria to at least the, you know, to the German standard. And um, when we did our testing using that that method, <clears throat> which is 10 to 20 kilograms of force on the bolt carrier to get a tight close on a go gauge, that dovetailed perfectly with some of the empirically derived stuff from some of the, the better known AK builders in our country. And um, the way in, one guy in particular came up with that is that he built machine guns and if he set the head spike headspace any looser than that they wore out quickly and so uh that was one really neat thing is to see you know to be able to get at the source material and a good translation of it um another interesting thing and i think this shows what communism does to people is we've had a few east german kits come through our shop and on a couple of them the metallurgy was bad the the rockwell hardness um, was way soft on some of the trunnions 
And we also saw a really poor dimensional control over the barrel journal, the, the, the hole that the barrel gets pressed into. And um, we know that the Germans are capable of great work, but I think, you know, communism does a lot to, you know, there's that whole thing, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us kind of thing that, that can really <laughs> yeah. knock quality into the dirt. So accurate, so accurate. Is John Baum the guy? That you're, that yes. You're- yes. Yeah. And you, it's a little, it's a little hokey. You got to PayPal him, but he, I think he's, he's an honest guy and everything. I think he's just probably older. And, um, but yeah, those books are really entertaining and educational and have a lot of good, good content in them. Yeah. So it's the AK 47 repair manual, national people's army of the German democratic Republic. Um, 1978 by John Baum, like 20 bucks. You can, can order that what to have him on the show let's email him <laughs> if he's still alive anybody know really, really interesting anybody you know have to John mail him or, or pigeon carrier him i'm gonna <laughs> well, i'm gonna send him a postcard smoke signals he has a bunch of other manuals for other weapons as well so i suspect he's a wealth of knowledge hey um, you know what's gonna be funny marty we're gonna like invite the guy on the show it's gonna be like this 22 year old punk ass kid who <laughs> <laughs> did all that shit when he was 12 when he was 12 yeah <laughs> Well, 1978, I mean, he's going to be closer to our age than... No, I think that's when the manual was published, not when he translated Not when he translated I got you. Yeah. It's probably FPS Russia, that guy. <laughs> no, it's definitely not him. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner Season 2 is brought to you in part by Occam Defense. The guys at Occam love the AK, but didn't love burning their hands getting cut by their pre-sharpened gun, or the lack of options for accessories. After spending a few years in the lab, they've recently released the ODS-1775, which brings the best of the AR family to the Kalashnikov's reliability. It's still an AK under the hood. AK mags, forged Polish AK parts, but with American aerospace manufacturing practices and ingenuity. Check them out at OccamDefense.com or on Instagram at Solutions. All right, let's let's move along here. Uh, let's talk about the uh, Zestava. This is the Serbian version, the M70. Is that it doesn't fit anything else. It doesn't fit anything else, huh? <laughs> it has its own triggers. It has its own everything, furniture. Um, so one of the, I mean, it's a great rifle. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it. Um, they just kind of changed everything a little bit. Um, and then they, I mean, they did some great stuff that definitely upgraded. I mean, you know, their bolts and bolt carriers are great. Um, but yeah, spec wise, everything's a little different. The furniture doesn't fit necessarily. The triggers don't fit necessarily. Yeah. It's um, got a one and a half millimeter stamped receiver. Mm-hmm. Which with, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No. Um, but when you go, like you're saying things fit, you know, you got different, different sizes and whatnot, but Development of the domestic Kalashnikov variant began in 1959, and the first models submitted by Zestava for military field trials were with the early M64 and M59 series of rifles uh, with milled receivers, threaded barrels, uh, and then the Zastava handguards. Uh, it had gas cut off for grenade launching and several other uh, diversities from the mainstay AK design, such as a bolt hold open device on the uh, right side of the receiver and a charging handle that appeared different from the AK models. Uh, though performance were satisfactory, the Yugoslav military did not adopt the rifle as a standard infantry armament. There's a little bit of history about it right there. 
And uh, let's see. It's been used in several wars also. Persian, uh, Gulf War, Yugoslav Wars, Rwandan Civil War, uh, Liberian Civil Wars, Iraq War. Fragmentation of Yugoslavia, the Baltic Wars. It definitely was. It definitely was. It was uh, pretty well used, actually. You know, one of the, you know, to touch back on what uh, Drew was talking about, about the differences between the, the Yugo pattern and the, you know, what can be considered everything else mm-hmm. uh, for the, for the exception of the Chinese where you have things just fit and match and line up. The Yugoslavian rifles seem to be just different enough to lend an air of flipping their nose to the iron curtain and saying, since we're a breakaway Republic, we're going to make ours just a little bit different, but we're going to do the same thing. And those rifles, by and large, are another example of overbuilt rifles. Their forgings, their forgings are spectacular, and they take a tremendous amount of pride in their metallurgy. Um, you know whether you know whether or not the handguards fit or not, or whether or not the finish on their bolt carriers is different, or whether or not they uh, chrome line their barrels or not, is um, you know it, it's just it it. it relatively idiosyncratic to their to their own breed and and their own consumer choices essentially or, or you know n- not consumer choices but uh uh conventional choices yeah yeah no the m70s are super super tough rifles yeah jay uh, maybe you can speak to this i haven't touched many yugo rifles for obvious reasons that they don't fit with anything else so it's a really poor choice for me on a on a commercial level but um I have heard that it's hard to find one that ships in headspace, meaning that they're super loose. But I also have not heard of any failing. Is that your experience that they're pretty sloppy on the on the headspacing, but that they they work? They're built that tough. I I, I have not had that experience with them. Um, I, I you know I'm not going to you know come on and say that I've headspaced every single or or checked each rifle that you know that I've shouldered. Um, I. I, I actually don't check headspace on pretty much anything. I'm not a, I'm not a builder. I'm a shooter. Sure. So I, I, I can really only speak to the, uh, to the M92 SBR that I have. And it does, it does things that it probably mathematically shouldn't because of its short length. Um, but with, you know, I'm coming up on close to 10,000 rounds through that thing. And, um, it's flawless. It's just a, a, a obnoxiously consistent. <laughs> no, that's what I've heard about them is that yeah, it, it's like a bumblebee. It shouldn't fly, but it does. And yeah. uh, that, that is my, yes, that's what I've heard. So I'll tell you, um, I know a little bit about, just a little bit about the headspacing situation. Um, they are considered loose in headspacing to, by, by some people. They run flawlessly as semi-automatic rifles. I know I know several builders that prefer those to make machine guns out of, especially for like rental guns at um, at indoor ranges and stuff like that. They like the M70 platform um, because it's so rugged and durable for machine gun use. But I have heard that they do um, a lot of them will rebuild when they rebuild them, tighten up the head spacing a little bit for the machine guns. But they do run really, really well in full auto. Cool. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, no, I haven't heard anything. Or about you know it's not like I've heard about them grenading or anything. Yeah. Um, just and they sound like they're great rifles. Just haven't messed with them much. 
And are those are those pretty uh, available here in the United States, or they tough to get? No, they're they're fairly available. I mean, um, as Century Arms, we imported them for many, many, many years. Um, a lot of the stuff from Zastava we brought in recently. I think Jay was it last year when they opened up their own importer a year and a half ago. I think it was just a little over a year ago that they opened their own importation distribution business. Yeah, so Zastava is now importing their own products. Okay. Um, obviously, no no bad blood between Century and Zastava. They just <clears throat> they decided to go a new route instead of importing through us. They decided to, to take on the importation themselves. They wanted yeah, all the money. Still bringing, they're still bringing in guns. <laughs> um, they're still bringing in guns. So yeah, they're still out there, and you can still buy them for sure. Okay, very cool. <laughs> Anything additional on the the Zastavs? You guys want to add? We're going to move on to uh, to Finland. And they're uh, the Valmet M76 and the RK62. So the RK62 from Finnish, uh, Assault Rifle 62, also 7.62, RK62, and M62, is a rifle manufactured by Valmet and Seiko. I'm sure you guys probably heard of Seiko before. It is the standard issue infantry weapon of the Finnish Defense Forces. The RK62 was designed in 1962 and is based on the Polish licensed version of the Soviet AK-47 design, which we haven't talked Polish yet. Uh, we did talk a lot of, of Polish uh, AK-47s last season. Uh, the RK-62 uses the same 762 by 3.9 cartridge as the AK-47 between 65 and 94. 350,000 M62 rifles were produced jointly by Valmet and Seiko. It is the basis of the IMI Galil, which is the IWI now, an Israeli-made assault rifle with many similarities. So that's the reason I wanted to talk about the, the finish, uh, is that a lot of people may not realize that the Galil is based off of the AK-47. The RK-62 has a three-pong flash suppressor and a groove for specially designed knife bayonet, which can be used alone as a combat knife. The RK-95TP is a more modern, improved version of the 62, one of the most distinctive features of the Valmet rifles, including the M62 and all subsequent variations, is the open-ended three-pronged flash suppressor with a bayonet lug on its lower side. In addition to the flash suppression, the end can quickly cut barbed wire, pushing the muzzle onto a strand of wire and firing around. Are you guys, are you guys familiar with that? With that Swedish variation? Nope. But you are familiar with the Galil, right? Yeah, I've been behind one of those, uh, you know, at least half a dozen times. Okay. Well, let's, let's just move on over to the Galil because that's where I was headed with this. The Galil, uh, which is the Israeli-made uh, rifle, is designed by Yisaril Galil in the uh, late 1960s and produced by the IMI, which is the Israeli Military Industries, now called IWI, Israeli Weapon Industries, design is closely based on the RK-62. I think he's using design very loosely there. Right, yeah. Um, inspired. It's inspired. As far as the Galil goes, I don't know if I would call him the designer of the gun. I mean, it's pretty much a straight up, there's nothing original on the gun. He just took, like you said, the Valmet, made a few different changes to make it more AK-like, and that's the Galil. Right. So most Galils are chambered for either the 5.56 by 4.5 or the 7.62 by 5.1. The Galil series of weapons is in use with military and police forces in over 25 countries. 
So I just wanted uh, to touch on that a little bit. Um, any any more depth you guys want to go in on the Galil? Uh, Galil's also uh, been issued in 6'2 by 51. Hmm. And then to expand on the Galil into South Africa, uh, that market developed into the R4, R5, and R6 variety of rifles, which are pretty much just South African branded Galils, uh, very similar to the Peruvian um, Galils prolifically used pretty much everywhere that they don't want to shoot a what i'll call an ar family or an ak family of weapon they're everywhere Every, yeah. everywhere that you don't find an ar or an ak you You'll will find, find a galil. galil yeah you will find a galil yeah and um just so and we were talking about those valmets earlier marty mm-hmm. they also made valmets in 556 five, they also made valmets in 760 by 51 um, and the Galils are, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the 308 or 760 by 51, Galil and Valmet are almost identical. Yeah, and you know what, the, there's a bunch of stuff that I admire on the Galil. I know it's it's close, but <clears throat> like the thumb, uh, thumb safety on the Galil is a big deal. Uh, some of the polymer work that they've recently done on it, it's a giant deal. You know, we, we have a slightly different take on it, but they as far as I know, they were kind of the first to do a credible full pick rail across the top. The dust cover uh, is is markedly different and addresses what I think is something of a flaw in the standard AK design. And that when you pop the safety down, that's also your dust cover. And then it's just open. The Galil has that reciprocating dust cover on it that kind of bounces out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong here, but is there a left-sided or an ambi charging handle option on the Galil? Uh, th- there, there were in I, what I think were the SAR models. They were also super short, and I think that they were doing those in the 70s, long before anybody else started to think about a manual of arms where you could keep your firing hand where it belongs and use your support hand to charge and replace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like yeah. just like the AKs, the Galil has many variants. They've got the AR, the SAR, the ARM, the MAR, the Sniper. Uh, there's a slew of other variants there. So yeah. Right, and, and, and each one of those serve particular functions. Right. They, you know, because they're not commercial market, you had mobile units so you know and you have you know people doing vehicle and you know it israeli fighting is urban fighting so that's why you have the prevalence of what's now the bullpup series and uh and just generally shorter rifles yeah. you know and and that's you know i, I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit so we're going to jump out of this rabbit hole the galil we're going to get back on ak's but i mean that's another i mean the galil is another one that we could do a whole season on as well so we could do that. Mm-hmm. I love Galils. I love me some Galils. Yeah. <laughs> so let's jump back on the uh, the AK train here, and uh, let's get a couple of more countries here. I mean, again, this is something we could do for weeks, talking about all the different countries, the different variants. What about Romania and the Wasser? Yeah, we can talk a lot about those. I um, figured you could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jay, take it away, buddy. <laughs> Oh, the Romanians. Um, everybody's most uh, most familiar rifle. 
uh, Romanian rifles. I don't, Drew, how long how long have we been importing Romanian rifles for? Um, like, Century's been doing them for ever. God, I mean, at least fifteen years, but maybe longer actually. Right, pretty much every series of commercially available Romanian rifle has been brought in. Yeah, largely, l largely by Century Arms. Yeah, so the only, I mean, there's there's exceptions to that, just because um, the Romanians used to import tons and tons of parts kits. So there's a right. lot of other companies that built guns off of Romanian parts kits with their receivers. Um, they're obviously not called Wazers, but you know they'll say they oh this is a Romanian AK. And, you know, largely it is. It's built off a of Romanian parts kit. But the Romanians used to bring in tons and tons of parts kits. Um, so you'll see some other receivers with Romanian parts on them for sure. But a vast, vast, vast majority of any of the Romanian Cougier stuff is all going to be from Century. Yeah, for sure. You know, with that, we got the, the current imports that we're bringing in from Romania. Wazer 10, AS-10B, which is like an RPK heavy barrel style. All the Dracos. All that kind of stuff. Um, Romania, paratroopers. Yeah, the RH10s. But um, Romania is another one of those countries that has, is a licensed manufacturer of an AK, um, as as is Poland. And uh, so that that's when you when people start talking about we make a mil spec AK, we make this, we make that. The Romanians are a mil spec, you know, licensed AK manufacturer, um, just like the Polish are. Um, so that's one of those things when people say, do you have a mil spec line? My, my AK's mil spec, my AK's mil spec. You know, I think me and actually, I think me and CJ talked about this on the, uh, on season one, didn't we, Marty? Yeah, you did a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I think we kind of touched on a little bit because he had, he had a lot of the knowledge on the Polish side. I have a lot of knowledge on the Russian side. And I have some knowledge on the, uh, on the, uh, you know, the actual Russian side as well from my previous employer. So we were all kind of talking about who's actually does make a mil spec AK. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Romania is one of those countries, you know, the, the Cougier factory is a, is a mil spec AK per se. So one interesting thing about the Cougiers is that they're actually still manually machined, which is pretty cool in, in an age where CNC is done, has replaced a lot of that. There's still dudes cranking those out on, on manual milling machines. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's old school. And you can and you can actually see evidence of that in the tooling marks, which oh, is yeah. really which is really pretty cool in a lot of ways. And there were a lot of rifles before the Wasser that oh, were yeah. that, that, that that were brought in that were Roman you know, that are Romanian rifles. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, like when uh, you know, when when I was younger and was in the AKs in my teenage years, my early twenties. Um, you know, all the stuff that was coming in from Romania was not new production. It was all surplus. I mean, like I have a PSL that I bought, you know, almost 20 years ago. You know, it was made in the early 70s. You know, it was a surplus gun. It wasn't newly manufactured. Um, so a lot of the early stuff from the 60s and 70s and into the 80s was all surplus stuff that had been sitting in crates, mothballed stuff. Um, the stuff that's coming out of Cougar now, the stuff that we're importing now is brand new manufactured product. Um, so it's a little bit different. It's not, we, you know, we kind of call it surplus, surplus rifles, but they're not surplus rifles anymore. These are brand new manufactured rifles for the U.S. market. Um, so it's not really a surplus rifle anymore. Um, so that, that's kind of a, a, a difference you'll see as well on some of the older imports as opposed to the new manufactured product. And I think this, uh, and I think that the split there 
the last actual military rifles that came in whole from Romania that were not Wassers were the SARs. Yeah, I would say that's, that's probably that's definitely correct. And and that would be uh, the SAR one, two, and three. Yeah, and those were all seventies and eighties guns. Right, and 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 holding the difference between the two. Yeah. So the the, the SAR rifles are 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 distinctly heavier than any of the Wasser series. They, yeah. The, the the barrels themselves are different. They're a thicker barrel. They're not as much of a uh, thin pencil barrel. Um, receivers are a little heavier. This is all measured in a perceptual context, but they are different rifles, and they they just the the tactile feel of them is is, is greatly different than the Wassers. And where's the SAR coming from? Romania. Uh, the, it's Romanian. As they well. were, yeah, they were Romanian um, prior to the, I believe the. GP series of Wassers that were com- that were brought in whole, which were when you had, uh, w- which may have been another split from when there were D mills and parts kits being brought in. I don't think a, a, a lot of people are aware that you really did not have a tremendous amount of whole AKs brought into this country that were not take-homes from some foreign police action or war. So when you had AKs in this country, they only came from certain places. And one of the, one of the reasons why the Mahdi rifle is so popular or was because it, it came from Egypt and wasn't prohibited from importation, which is also the reason why most of the rifles that were used and then had to be converted to be cosmetically consistent with Russian weapons for the movie Red Dawn. Yes, I read that somewhere. Yeah, yeah that was pretty yeah, cool. Um, now, the Chinese guns were also imported complete um, for years, um, but we didn't start bringing those things in until the 80s, and then they were banned. It was a 92? Yeah, something like that. I, I mean, I, I'm somewhere in the early '90s. It was '92 or '94. I don't remember exactly when they were when they started having to be modified. In other words, coming in with single stack mags and thumb hole stocks and that stuff. But you know, like the early Polytex, the Legends and stuff, those were completely imported just the way that you have them: pistol grips, folding bayonets, underfolder stocks, all that kind of stuff. And those, so there's a lot of Chinese product on the market and a lot of Mahdi stuff that was brought in whole, unconverted, that were legal. Um, a lot of the other countries, just like Jay said, they come in as demilled, cut receiver or whatever, and the and or parts kits and then built. And uh, that right. all happened late in the late nineties and up to now. Right. And and then that's when exposure into these Romanian rifles uh began to bloom and that's where everybody could start getting into AKMs in the United States. And the uh, the Wasser is definitely a gateway drug to other AK-40s. <laughs> and that's a good segue into the United States. So let's let's talk about the, you know, all what you were just talking about. I mean, it's building up to the, the AK craze here that's building in the United States now. And then we've got several U.S. companies now that are making, you know, their own AK-47s. Century Arms being one of those. Aqua Defense Solutions being another one of those. So let's let's talk about that. 
like you said, um, there's a lot of people manufacturing AKs here in the U.S. now. You know, there's, you know, people that are still building off parts kits from other countries and or parts kits that are manufactured overseas and or majority of their parts being manufactured overseas. There's people that are making them 100% in the U.S. Um, so there's several different ways and different types of AKs that you're getting. And I don't mean I don't mean to say this to brag, and I don't want it to come off as braggy, but a vast majority of U.S. manufactured AKs are being made by Century. Um, we're the only company that's cranking out you know thousands and thousands and thousands of AKs. Uh, most of the other guys are smaller companies that are building you know, hundreds of them a month as opposed to thousands. So the vast majority of the AK U.S. made AKs you're seeing on the market are coming from Century. You know, obviously Palmetto's manufacturing. Um, quite a good number and their numbers are getting better but uh, honestly i still don't think they're really meeting the demand mm. now they're are they yep. claiming that theirs are 100 percent u.s made i don't know if they're still claiming that or not honestly i don't know yeah. i know their ars are i think i think their ak is 100 percent u.s made i'm pretty sure it is yeah, yeah from what i know from what i know and you know obviously i have a little bit more experience with that side <laughs> they are uh, they are an american made ak okay. yeah i mean yeah that's what i mean i didn't i didn't think anything had changed there you know, as as is as is the um, you know the Century Arms, you know, it's a domestically manufactured AK as well. You know, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't know from some of the other companies, but some of the other companies out there, um, like Raleigh Defense, you know, they make a lot of AKs. They make a domestic AK. Mm-hmm. I think they're out of North Carolina. James River Armory, um, they're making some AKs um, that are pretty cool. And there's a lot of cool stuff on the market right now. So, I think um, James River is doing the uh, the Rodham stuff. They're getting stuff in from Poland and. They're making theirs. Right? Off yeah, I mean they make a bunch. The they, they've made several different stuff. They've done Yugo stuff. They've done. I mean they do all kinds of cool stuff. You know they do brought in all those BM 59s from you know the Beretta BM. I mean they've got other stuff besides AKs too. Sure. But I'm just I'm just trying to think of who else is domestically making AKs. Um, but yeah, there's definitely rifle um, dynamics. There's, there's, yeah, rifle dynamics. Some Mesa kinetic research. You know, there's yeah. there's some boutique. Awesome. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of boutique a lot of people out there. Yeah. Yeah, that are doing it. So there's a there's a plethora of choices without a doubt. But I mean, the the reason being though that so many companies in the U.S. are starting to make AKs is because there's a huge demand for the AK rifle in the U.S. It's growing. Um, and, yeah, and well, and not only is it growing, the supply of overseas AKs is shrinking. Yeah. Um. So you know, we. And that's have what I was going to say. Do you think that yeah. if there weren't so many limitations put on the uh, importation of the AK-47, do you think that we would see what we're seeing right now in the, in the United States as far as you know, companies like... Absolutely, absolutely not. No one would be making a domestic AK if it wasn't for all the restrictions. Um, AKs are notoriously hard to manufacture. They're very, very labor-intensive, and they're not just labor-intensive, they're skilled labor-intensive. They're not like AR-15s where you can go get 20 guys off the street and 20 minutes later have them assembling lowers. It's it's a it's a that's an intensive gun. It's not it's not an AR-15. You have to know how to manufacture something. I mean, it has to be riveted. It has to be welded. I mean, there's you know pressings and you know things have to be done properly or the guns don't work. People think they're simple, and you know you know a mama sound hammers them out in her hut. That's not entirely accurate. <laughs> that's just not an, an an accurate portrayal of the AK-47. Are they easy to repair? Yeah, you can repair them in the field and in a mama sound's hut or you know, some like uh, like um, Art was saying, you know, up in the mountains of Afghanistan, guys yeah, are hammering right. out whole railroad ties. <laughs> They're making replacement parts. They're not making the guns. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, yeah. So, yeah. If, if, if there was still an ample 
supply coming from overseas, there's no way any of these U.S. companies, I think, would have tackled manufacturing them. You know, I got to say something. So obviously, I'll stay kind of quiet today. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about the American AK dynamic is that for so many other companies and so many other manufacturing capabilities, you know, an all-American made product is probably one of the most desired products by by other Americans. We want all-American made stuff. But over the last couple of years, we've seen this paradigm shift where some people are, you know, saying that an American-made AK is of lesser quality. And one of the things that I think is really important to remember when when thinking about that is there's got to be a learning curve in any in any sort of manufacturing process. And what's really important to see, though, is that manufacturers, not just tooting the horn of Century, but of other manufacturers, are sticking with it. And I think what we have to say is we have some of the, in terms of technological advancements, some of the most uh, you know up to date and and superior technologically sound uh, ways of finding out what's wrong and what's right, and then advancing it. So wait, while you know you hear the debate of is a cast trunnion that much different than a forged trunnion? Is for instance, Century uses S seven steel. Does that suffice? You know, we have to be cognizant that just because something isn't exactly how you think it used to be, that it makes it any less or better. You know, I think technolo- technology as a whole really develops a product and can suddenly make what was something that is so revered and so amazing as the AK even better. And we have to respect that and pay homage to that, that American technology really can actually take something that's great and make it even better moving forward. And the thing, and the innovation that America brings in going through and you know, as you're saying, the learning curves and learning how to do it, do you see or do you feel that changes will occur as far as how things are done, like the press barrel in the AK? Would that change the AK completely or, uh, you know, getting away from that design, is that something that's that's logical or could be done with an AK? I mean, Brian, what do you think? Has been, threaded barrels have been done in AKs. That, that's not a, a totally foreign thing. Um, but I think that how that work? Yeah. I mean, it just it just increased machining time, increased cost, increased a bunch of other things with the gun. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, but I think that yeah, I don't think we're done. I mean, like just coming from Century, um, you know, the Visca rifle. I love AKs. I have tons of AKs. I have them from all different countries. Um, you know, I told you how rugged I think the Chinese AKs are. You know, um, how rugged the Yugo this stuff is. I'll put the Visca up against any of those guns any day as far as durability, accuracy, and just straight up running. Um, just because I know that it's so much more, it's just, it's better made. It's just, you know, we made it here. It's machined out of, you know, S7 tool steel trunnions, just all the durability factors that are As made I'm it. rubbing mine, I'll keep that. talking. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Please don't ever say that like that. Ever. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, as, said as he's rubbing his, please keep talking. Oh, Lord have mercy. But um, but yeah, you, you get what I'm saying, and I think that yes. we're just going to make it better. Um, so any of the Soviet block stuff, any of the old stuff, um, I get it, man. I love to collect things. So you have you you got to you got to look at it two ways. There's a nostalgia, and there's a collectability of people wanting stuff that comes from that's comp block. But people who shoot and want to shoot a gun, you know. We're making better AKs here in the U.S. than they do in the comp in the yeah. comp block. I'm just that's just the truth. Yeah, you actually want to get an AK that you can go out shoot, you can run, not worry about it. You know, make make sure it's it's working, it's running. You know, get one it's of those. It's accurate, and they're it's accurate. accurate. Yeah, smooth, really accurate. 
Now, talk about, uh, Brian, from your aspect of the manufacturing process, um, give us your take on manufacturing AKs in the United States. Yeah, there's um, there's something to understand about, about a, the to me, the holy trinity of, of the, the actual gun on an AK, other than the barrel, is the front trunnion, the bolt, and the bolt carrier. And... Um, for small outfits to manufacture that those three parts is incredibly capital intensive. Um, if they're done right, they're forged. Um, and I think they could be done well in billet. The problem is that you need the manufacturing statistics running a whole bunch of guns through a whole bunch of rounds to understand if your process is right. And so, you know, that's that's one of the things that's got me a little skittish about making those three parts on our own. Um, but it's something that we're seriously, you know, trying to figure out how to get into. Another complication with making the parts true to the Comblock specs is that the metals that are used um, in the Kami guns are not available domestically. You have to have the alloy custom made for you. The alloys that that are used in the in the Kami spec rifles are not available domestically, so you can use X-ray fluorescence to to pick out what the exact alloys are, but then you have to have a a custom pour done of of that specific alloy, and then there's the forging dies and and then the finish machining. So it, it stacks up to be a a very large task for smaller companies to take on and. Um, it's great that PSA and Century have gone after it. I'm really happy to um, to see their success, and um, you know that that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, manufacturing stuff is really tricky, and in the U.S., riveting and you know press fits are more well understood here than riveting, and in the aircraft industry certainly there's, and in some of the like power industries, riveting's still done, but it's not commonplace, and um, even the metallurgy of the rivets is a big deal. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of things when we're changing this technology to, and innovating it, there are areas where I'm more comfortable experiencing, experimenting and areas where I'm less comfortable doing so. And um, so what we've done is try to keep the, the metallurgy the same on the parts that we find to be really critical because we're not at a scale where we can really innovate at those right now. And so... Um, so yeah, our personal take on on getting the AK going or our brand of it is to innovate on the areas that are not um, as critical as that sort of holy trinity there and um, to move around the periphery of that. And the nice thing about that is it doesn't really need too much improving from my standpoint. You know, prepping barrels sounds like a big hassle, but at least in our small shop, we figured out a way to do it very quickly and precisely and have scientific metrics on the output to know that we've done the job right. And yeah. so like force gauges, I was well, talking being about a, an armchair, um, gunsmith, uh, you know, that's something that's beyond my capability as far as the barrel press, you know, and from, from my standpoint, you know, that's as far as working on them and making them and building them myself, that's, you know, one of the, the, prohibitations you know that's what prohibits me from doing it here at home no doubt it's uh on a on a home builder level it's far more capitally intensive capital intensive than uh than doing an ar-15 however there's a lot of sort of farm boy fabricator yeah, tools yeah to get you across the finish line like when i first started building ak's i was actually farming and not making a lot of money and uh, so i built 
all of my first set of tooling um, with a thousand dollar bridge port that I already had. And um, that got me through a bunch of AKs before I could afford to move on to uh, more interesting solutions. Yeah, but you're a super genius uh, mechanical, f- physiological engineer too, you know, so, <laughs> geometric yeah. physics engineer. So <laughs> we're not yeah, all as smart I'm as a, you, dude. <laughs> I'm a C minus fabricator and there's a lot of A plus fabricators out there that I learned from. And so, uh, you know, um, there, there's a lot of stuff there on the internet. There's a lot of ways to blow your face off too, like, you know, screw builds are, are not cool. And that's the key, yeah. So when you said the Holy Trinity, would you say those are the three main components that, that make an AK an AK? When is an AK not an AK? Maybe that's a whole other show we need to get into. I don't know. Well, They're well, the yeah. critical components. Yeah, real briefly, I mean, that's where the pressure is contained. Is between Barrels, the U.S. has cold. That's, that's no issue at all, right? And then the, the trunnion is sort of the gun in my standpoint. It ties everything else together. Mm-hmm. And then bolt, that's not that hard to do in the U.S., but the forgings, you know, there have been issues with, with U.S.-made bolts. Not And, and uh, uh, I'm right there with, I forget if it was Adam or Andrew, but let's not bet against America. And, um, you know, I, I think cheering when, when American companies can start to get this stuff right is a really big deal. And, um, and yeah, it took an immense amount of energy on the, the commie side to figure this stuff out. And, and, uh, yeah, definitely it's going to take a little while for us to spin up. So you've got the, the barrel and the front trunnion, the bolt, the bolt carrier. The only reason I put it in there is that it's the thing doing the reciprocating. And if the metallurgy and the hardness isn't right, of course, that's kind of part of the metallurgy, but if the, the alloy composition isn't right and the hardnesses aren't matched, you got a, a soup sandwich there. And then uh, on a secondary level, I'd put the receiver just because it holds a, some other stuff that's not quite as mission critical, but but it ties sort of the, all the other appendages together. And if you don't have your metallurgy and hardness is right on that, you got another problem as well. So, right. but that is the AK. Everything else is up for grabs. And and I didn't come up with that. That's a Jim Fuller wisdom that, that I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with. I agree. I mean, that's that. That's that's the meme. Potatoes of the AK, but hard to um, argue with Jim Fuller. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't really do it, but <laughs> I will just I will add something to that. I mean, you know, the critical component that I've seen and some of the fails that some of the U.S. companies have had. A lot of it's been an heat treat, and um, getting that dialed in is pretty is pretty critical, and that just takes time and experimentation. <laughs> yeah, very good. I think that's probably a good uh, point to wrap it up, unless you guys have anything else to add from our AKs around the world topic here. Um, I can't wait to read all the Leadheads' emails about all the places we forgot. Uh, well, we didn't forget. We just we don't have time to get everything in, you know. So no, I don't. We could we could do a continuation of this, you know, maybe later on in a in a later episode. But I mean, like you said, I mean there there are 30, 30 different countries that are cranking out over a million of these a year, and, and it's just growing. And especially here in the United States, I think you're going to start seeing more companies pop up doing the, the AK-47. But, you know, Century Arms, you know, you guys definitely got to jump on the competition. You're making great AK-47s with the Vishka. And, uh, you know, you're, you're ones that are you can't talk about that you're, you're working on, obviously. And then, of course, Occam Defense putting the American Americanized 
look and feel to the AK-47, but it's still an AK-47 like you're talking about. It's it's only going to get better. So we're looking forward to seeing what America's got to bring to the AK-47 market. So um, with that, let's jump on over and read a couple of emails. You were talking about you can't wait to hear what the, the leadheads have to say. Let's see what they said uh, about last episode. So we got Jason Edgar, longtime leadhead here. Uh, and I asked, you know, what, what topics they want to talk about. He said, don't forget the topic of AK torture test. He said, and another topic idea, the Wasser 10. Why is there a single stack magazine version? Just a show on the history of this variant. So we talked about it a little bit right there. Do you, you guys want to take the Wasser 10 real quick on the, uh, single stack magazine? Super quick, super easy. Um, when the uh, ban came into effect, you could no longer import what they called assault rifles. The guns have to come in with a 10-round single-stack magazine. So early on, we actually imported them like that and just sold them straight up. Now we bring them in, machine out the magwell to accept the double-stack mag, and then make it 922R compliant. But in the early days of the 922R compliance, people just didn't know what the hell to do. So we just sold them as they came in, and we're like, you do let the customer worry about it um so currently we don't do that any longer but that's where you see those single stack um watchers or romanian single stack guns is from the early days of the the uh, import ban very good answer all right let's go to the next one uh this is from ezekiel and he goes by big papa 94 says hey lefty it's big papa 94 i saw Sweet video that I thought you would totally enjoy. It's on YouTube. It's about the hidden features of the AK using the cleaning kit. I think you will like it. Uh, I thought it would be cool to hear from your guests to see if they know about these hidden features and if they know any other features. Uh, so there's a video here that he's... And uh, I watched the video, and basically this guy's going through and showing all the the uses of the cleaning kit that come with the, the AK, the standard cleaning kit. Um, it's like everything has a purpose, all the little nooks and the crannies on these tools. So what I'll do, I'll make a post on the, uh, the show notes as you guys are listening to this, to this video and you guys can go watch that. You ladies can go watch it and see what, uh, Zeke's talking about, but that'll be another, another show. We'll get into talking about the cleaning and the different tools and things like that. Probably get, we can just do a, a show on, we can do a show on AK hacks. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is. It's kind of like AK hacks using your, your cleaning uh-huh. tools. All right. Next one comes to us from Eric, uh, and that's Eric Meyer. He said, could you do a segment on Comblock pistol caliber carbines? I've got a few modern USPCCs and working on building an AR-9. Would be cool to hear about some counterparts from overseas. Okay. Uh, is it Century making a? Uh, yeah, so so I can talk on that. Obviously, we have you know, uh, an AK, the NAC nine, which obviously is a Romanian AK that we've converted to an accepted Glock magazine, and that uh, is something that, to be honest with you, I call it the big boy BB gun. It's just a fun gun to shoot. Um, it's starting to really get some traction. It's out there available in the market now. We're really excited to have it. And uh, we are we have started to kind of tease out there with some media, so you'll start to see some things very soon. Um, there is a Wasser M in the Ooh. works now, which, which will be obviously a full-sized Wasser that is uh, chambered in 9mm. And we're pretty excited to see 
as that gets slowly released, um, both through social media, through influencers, through individuals like yourself, Lefty, and then out to the public as a whole, uh, the reception of that to the market. Can't say really that much more about that at the time, but if you are looking for something in terms of an AK caliber uh, or an AK with a chamber to nine millimeter, we do have the NAC nine that's available out there. And there's a couple other companies as well that have a nine millimeter AK that is, uh, they're really a lot of fun to shoot and kind of changes up the dynamic and gives you that availability to practice kind of with a little bit cheaper. But I will tell you, it's a completely different feeling gun. I mean, it, the, there is minimalistic recoil at best. It makes you feel like you're the best shooter in the world. Uh, now, we actually have a, a little video of Adam shooting the NAC 9X at Royal Range USA, which that is the uh, one with the fun button on it, the fun switch. <laughs> and uh, Adam went full auto with that. I've got a video on our Facebook page. Uh, I think you probably posted it on uh, on Century Arms, too, of Adam shooting that NAC 9. You just tell by the look on his face, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, anybody that's shot full auto before knows that when you watch that video, the cycle rate on that thing, I think we figured that the cycle rate on that was somewhere around like 800. I wasn't like 800 rounds. Uh, I mean, it, it's Eight, insane. 850 to 900. Yeah, I mean, 850 to 900. Any any gun that's cycling that high, if you were trying to dump an, an AK mag that high, I'm a big guy. It's still going to walk me a little bit. You can see there's, I mean, it doesn't even move me. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is, obviously, it's 9 millimeter. And that that even magnifies when you're shooting one round at a time on a semi-auto. You know, I, I think it's really... It really tells the tale of how fun that gun is to shoot if you're just out there trying to plink steel or, or enjoy it, whatever your purpose is. You know, I ran I ran that gun in a, in a Vickers class recently, and, you know, it definitely gave me some advantages from closer up when it was, you know, high rates of fire and different things like that, that necessarily, unless you're an experienced individual with the 762 by 39 uh, I, I think it was definitely a strategic advantage if you're competing with it or trying to get off rounds quickly on uh, you know, in a, in a in a close setting, it definitely has its advantages. That I I love the gun. I think you can probably hear that in how I'm talking about it. <laughs> Anybody else have a uh, a take on the pistol caliber AKs that are out there? There's several other companies that have them as well. Nothing. Good. <laughs> what about foreign countries that have those? Whoa, dude! You need to fix that chair. Adam, buy that boy a chair. <laughs> Holy cow! Any any uh, knowledge of, of pistol caliber AKs in other countries? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you got the Bisons, you got oh, there's a bunch of different um, com block stuff. But that's like that's kind of something we could get into in another episode. I think it's okay. if you want to get into some of those more obscure, small run type uh, commie guns. Cool. What about you, Brian? You got to take on uh, the the AK-47 in the pistol calibers. Not particularly. I, I, uh, if I'm going to tote a gun around, I'd like it to have a rifle caliber, but the nine by 39, I think is really exciting and kind of falls into that. Um, in terms of the, uh, just the, an interesting round that's very low pressure, kind of like the PCC kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's on the horizon. I think some really neat stuff is going to happen with it. And uh, I've been hearing a lot of buzz about that round lately. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago when it was when it was actually introduced. Wolf did Wolf? Yeah, Wolf that? was trying to push it. Yeah, yeah. And then since then, I've been hard. I've been, especially lately, I've been hearing more buzz about that that round. 
you have a couple people in the country that are are trying really hard to put together a nine by thirty nine gun, and they can't really get parts for them. So in some cases, they have to manufacture one off parts for those because there is no direct channel to be able to bring that in appropriately. Right. So where the advantages of nine by 39 persist in suppressed use and with the exorbitant suppressor market, it, it, it just seems like a great next transition for another caliber in this popular uh, platform. Um, but with that, it's, um, it's difficult because there are no parts to build any of the VSSs or anything of that sort. It's like I tell you all the time, Marty. It's a great idea, and people want it, but they don't want it for how much it's actually going to cost to make. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a $2,500 rifle. And as much as everybody wants a 9 by 39 they don't want one that's $2,500. They want one that's $800, and that's just not a possibility at this point. True, true that. But we are going to start seeing more. Uh, I think of the uh, the AKs and pistol calibers, so something to look forward to. All right, good questions from our lead heads, our AK lead heads, Jason, Big Papa, and Eric. So I think what we'll do is we'll do our next giveaway, our final giveaway for this episode, Adam, and we'll take it uh, from one of those three. So this is how you become eligible to win our giveaways, Leadheads. You, you send in the emails. You interact with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you share the links. You like the links. You support our sponsors, Century Arms. You go there and let them know that you're an AK head. You go to Occam Defense Solutions. You go there and let them know you're an AK head. You go to Avid or Real Avid. Uh, you go you go and support our guests that are on the show and let them know how much you enjoyed them and appreciated them being on. And that's where we go. We just randomly go through and we pick winners for this awesome swag, guns, ammo, magazines. There's going to be some other stuff that we've got coming up that we're going to be giving away from some other companies. So that's how you do it. And we're going to take our three uh, emails that I just read and randomly pick one of these guys to win. What are, what are we giving away, Adam? So as uh, we were talking about earlier, you know, uh, under the Century Brands, there are some really exciting new opportunities there. And one that we are probably the most excited about at this particular moment is the revitalization of the infamous U.S. Palm brand. Yes. So these guys worked tirelessly to create a culture and to create a product that uh, in our opinion, is unrivaled in the market. And one of the things that was their biggest iconic success would definitely have been the U.S. Palm AK magazines, which we were fortunate enough to, uh, when we acquired the company and brought the, the, our amazing staff on board, we were able to re uh, acquire the TDP for that, the technical data package for that, and keep things exactly how they were. And now we are about to release the U.S. Palm AK mag and grip again, and we want to give away ten of those mags as well as a grip to one of the a uh, one of the AK corner talking lead heads uh, you before you can even buy them on the market. That's awesome. So uh, Jason, Big Papa, or Eric is going to be the winner here. So uh, who's got a randomizer on their phone? 
Uh, I can do that. I'll okay. tell you what. Yeah, hold on. So I'm going to assign right. assign them. Eric's going to be number one. Big Pop is going to be number two. And Jason's going to be number three. All right. Stand by. Standing by. Well, mine doesn't make that my, that neat noise. <laughs> That's what but I was the uh, winner is number three. Who is number three? That would be Jason Edgar. So, longtime leadhead Jason Edgar. Congratulations! You just won yourself ten of the AK magazines and what furniture? The grip and a grip from US Palm. That's from correct. US Palm. That is awesome. And before I even get those, you're going to get those. So that is awesome, Jason. Shoot me an email, talkinglet@gmail.com, to claim your prize so I can give uh, Adam your contact info so he can ship those out to you. And again, this has to be legal in your state. So if you can't have 30-round magazines in your state, Jason, which I think you can. I can't remember where it is you're from. Let me know, and we'll substitute with something that you can have. So very good, guys. Awesome show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Adam, for joining us for this episode. What are we giving? Oh, we, real quick, Marty, we had a coupon code for Rockham as well. If, uh, oh, yeah. And when when people buy one of our firearms, they talk to a human, calls them up. You place your deposit online, but then you get a call back, and we talk with you about it, what your rifle or pistol is going to be like. And uh, you just mentioned that you're a leadhead. We will send you a free propaganda poster banner thing. They're like a, a pretty, well, they're hanging behind me. The other guys can see them. But uh, they're like a big vinyl banner with some artwork that we had commissioned on them. So that'll be the, the coupon code is buy a rifle, let us know. We'll send you a, a banner along with your gun. That's awesome. Very cool. So you guys make sure you take advantage of that. Auckland Defense taking care of you leadheads. Sit your arms taking care of you leadheads. Show them the love. And... We'll be back next episode, episode three. And have we decided what we're going to be giving away next episode, or I just leave it? Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind giving a little hint. Let's just say, let's just say, what we're giving away next episode goes boom. <laughs> Very nice. So I think you guys probably know what he's talking about. Some even more incentive for you to start taking part, be engaging with the the other lead heads, with us, with our sponsors, with our guests. Because I do check with our guests and make sure that you guys are, are supporting them on their social media platforms and, and their companies as well. So uh, Again, we couldn't do this without Century Arms, our presenting sponsor. Adam, thank you guys so much for stepping up for Season 2, making it possible. We had so much demand for this. Uh, thank you for making it possible. And uh, Occam Defense, Brian, you guys too. Couldn't do this without you. Real avid. We're going to get real avid on soon. They just came out with a AK, uh, one of their smart mats. Have you guys seen these? Have I shown those to you? If you're familiar with real avid, they make some awesome AR uh, cleaning tools and, uh, and mats. Well, they've just come out one with one for the AK. So they got the tools, they got the mats. Uh, very, uh, very high-end type stuff. You're going to really like it. It's pretty damn cool. I gotta say, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you you saw mine up close and personal, didn't you? Yeah. And they're I not like expensive it. either. I think I think they're like twenty bucks or something. I don't know. It's for the mats. You know, the tools. You know, they run different different uh, price ranges. Now, if they would come out with a barrel press, <laughs> then, <laughs> sign us up. Like, they, they'd sell a hundred of them. <laughs> I'd I'd be we'd one of them. Twenty of them. Yeah. 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 
I'd buy at least two because I know I'd break one because I always break shit. <laughs> but, no, seriously, thank you guys for taking the time to be on today. Uh, Jay, um, especially you, uh, thank you for taking the time. Adam, thank you for allowing him to be on today. Wealth of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. He, he had to come on and act, make me look like I actually know what I'm talking about. I think I said ten words this whole show. <laughs> That's rare for you. <laughs> but there were yeah. ten great, very well-pronounced words. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that Jesus <laughs> alright leadheads until next episode look forward to hearing your questions your comments uh, talkingleadgmail.com send them in uh, subject AK Corner Season 2 talk to you then out later Boom. outtakes 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 <laughs> uh oh somebody removed me from my own call I don't know how somebody could remove me from my own call uh, that's what I was wondering too talk about everything yeah I'm good but I'm about to piss myself so I'm out of here guys yeah I know the feeling yeah. I just was acting yeah I'm, I'm in I, I, I mean let's be honest here guys I want your full I'm, attention buddy <laughs> I'm, I'm. let's be honest also I was listening I'm going to be here for color commentating. <laughs> Most familiar rifle? Keep, pretty much. Uh, keep talking. I'm going to go pee. You're going to go pee? All right, man. I hope everything comes out all right. Keep talking. All right. Uh, Romanian rifles. And, stand uh, by. Stand by. Stand by. Somebody's got a squeaky chair. Yeah, it's me. I'm all done. <laughs> okay. All right. Who is slurping a drink? Jay, is that you also? That's not me. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. The, uh, Someone's having a Slurpee right now. Someone is having I don't have a Slurpee. I got a dip in like a normal person. <laughs> That's his Slurpee. I want to go away. Go away. I don't want to talk to you all anymore. I don't know how to make you go away.